The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. The Stanley Cup is up. Congratulations on your prediction. Um, thank you, I think. I mean, I it wasn't the Bruins, so I, I can't say I'm happy about it, but... Okay, uh, I got lucky. Overall, I mean, it could have gone either way, to be honest. I mean, it, it, Tampa they were Bay, the best team in the West. That they were. That much was obvious. I mean, squishy West or not, Colorado was clearly, yeah. Um, and I guess what upset me the beat, most. They beat the champs. I did not get a chance to look or to listen to any of the exit interviews for Tampa. I'm yeah. told that the list of injuries was really extensive. Um, uh, if you're not injured at that by getting to that time of year, you're either not playing a whole lot of ice time or remarkably lucky or lying. If you're not, because um, at that, when you get to that time of year, everybody is banged up. I mean, I, I don't recall hearing of anybody having Bergeron-esque injuries. Nobody that's was playing with most, even most hockey players aren't that dedicated. And dedicated. By dedicated. I mean, by dedicated, I, I do mean somewhat insane. Okay. I, I mean, it could have gone either way. Yes, to be the champs, you got to you know to be the best, you got to beat the best. They did so, but it could have gone either way. Tampa Bay clearly had the ability to come back. What upset me the most about it is just the way that the Colorado goaltending is laying back. I'm sorry, Darcy Kemper, yeah, wasn't going to win a Conn Smythe, but is much better than people give him credit for. Sorry. I actually just pulled up the list. Um, There were two meniscus tears. Okay. If you've not ever injured your meniscus, just don't. <laughs> yeah, don't want to do that. I have. It was probably the least fun injury I've ever had, and that includes breaking my thumb once. Um, shoulder. Uh, so, Braden Point, significant tear in his quad. Uh, Pierre yeah. Edward Belmar, meniscus injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, suffered prior to the playoffs, so he played a good number of games with it. Um, Sorelli, AC joint uh, sprain in the New York series, dislocated shoulder in the finals. They just refer to it as a mangled sink finger for Ryan McDonough. Mm-hmm. Nikita Kucherov, meniscus injury, picked up in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Brandon Hagel, fractured foot in the Florida series. I think we all knew about that one, even if it wasn't really talked about. Um, Nick Paul, AC joint sprain in ECF and MCL sprain in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. And then Corey Perry, an AC joint sprain from uh, the Eastern Conference finals. Um, so, yeah, basically, Stam- basically Stamkos and Hedman were not on the injured report. And that's about it. I mean, did they discuss? Does the list include any of the Colorado injuries? I mean, I, I, not that I'm Just trying to. Okay, I know. I, I mean, we know Nachuskin was playing with a broken foot, I believe it was. 
Well, uh, I, I mean, the one injury I did pick up on uh, for the abs was that. Um, well, you had Kadri with his broken, th- surgically repaired thumb that should have been out for like two months, and he came back in 18 days. Well, yes, his thumb <laughs> was bad enough. He couldn't actually tie his own skates. Yeah, uh, and man, and yet managed to score the game winner. And uh, and before everybody goes there, yes, there was too many men on the ice, but scored the overtime game winner in the first in his first game back. So, but he could. It, it was clear that his hand was not <laughs> not at even fifty percent. No. They didn't let him take faceoffs in the first game, although they allowed him to play in the middle on the second game. I don't know how many faceoffs he actually took. That would be an interesting number to find at some point. But yeah, 18 days after surgically repair, having his thumb surgically repaired. I mean, it, it is the hockey players. I've said it all along. You said it all. You know, they are not. They are a completely different animal from any other sport. <laughs> the mindset is just get me back out there. When, you t- when it comes to the big four sports and anything likely to edge into that territory in the in the U.S. in the next ten or fifteen years, uh, maybe rugby players are probably the next closest. But even that has a lot of ground to catch up on. A lot of ground. I mean, um, but we're uh, going back to the series. Uh, yeah. With the exception of game two, I thought it was a really well played, largely very entertaining series, um, which it certainly didn't look like it was going to be by the midway point of game two. Game two was entertaining if you lived in Colorado. <sighs> Maybe. I mean, it, it certainly would give you hope, but I'm not. I I personally wouldn't have found it that satisfying. I know that Uh, I'm evil, but I kind of enjoyed game two. I just seeing the almighty Tampa Bay taken down a peg and and the almighty Vasilevsky taken down a peg. I think that I'm just being evil about it. But just for that one moment in time, it felt really good to know that they were human. To know that they were human. Vasilevsky, oh, he's never allowed that many go well. And according to the coach, he he wanted to come back out. He wasn't going to. He, he he. According to him, the coach, you know, Cooper was going to pull him for the third period. But he he wanted to come back out. Okay, I don't know if that's ego or if that's masochistic or somehow he thought that they were going to score six goals and win the game in one period. I guess it's doable, but anyway, uh, interesting, it, just an interesting scenario. I, I hate, I know that it sounds evil. The rest of the series, very competitive. I mean, I, I think there were calls that went bad for both directions. I, I certainly the spent calls some time. Were not great. The only thing I will say is, while there were certainly calls in both directions that should have been made, I still I firmly believe, and this is as a as close to a neutral fan as you're ever going to find, 
because I, I greatly enjoy watching both teams play. Um, I still think that there were more blown calls that led to the Avalanche scoring than there were blown calls that led to Tampa scoring. Do they add up to enough to swing the series? I'd probably have to go back and watch the entire series again and get all of the replays. And that's not what hockey's about. Um, I, I think they spend too much time on a lot of the replays um, in general. And certainly I, everyone's heard my opinion on slow-mo for most types of calls. Um, I think the only real place that slow-mo has a, has a place is either on high sticking calls. So you can be sure it's the right player uh, going into the box. If anyone requires going into the box and maybe end on potential goals, like, did the puck actually go in or did the goalie or some other they player to stop then, it? Then they need better there. cam. They need better cameras, better camera angles or whatever. Cause th- there are times where, and, and I know that the NHL has cameras that we don't get to see. Supposedly there are cameras literally right on the blue line that make it a lot easier for them to see whether a puck is on or offside and we don't get to see them. Now, to me, that's kind of annoying if they're looking at and you. Know, why are you afraid to let me see it? So it's a little bit bothersome. I think the cameras on the nets are a great idea. But then when there's piles of people on top of the puck, you can't tell. Maybe you need to put a sensor in the puck. You know, they have goal line technology in soccer they, they, and they can tell when a ball crosses the line, even if there's. Even if the goaltender has fallen on it and can't, you can't see it. I, I, I hate to suggest it, and I don't think it's practical or even desirable, really. But here goes. Okay. You almost want to create a sheet of clear plastic under the ice into which you embed a couple of cameras that can see from under the goal uh, (laughs) one or two different angles that have their own light source. I genuinely think that's the only way you're going to solve quickly some of these, uh, some of these situations. Is it actually good for the game? I don't know. Um, But I think it's, I think that's about the only way you could do it would be to put down a, you know, one of those high, high strength, high durability, clear plastic sheets. That's, I don't know, extends from five inches outside the goal, uh, outside the goal line to five or six inches inside and put two or three cameras along it, maybe four to cover as many angles as possible. Um, You have, now I think we're, yeah. an infrared only visible line, yeah, we're uh, probably line or two that would show the goal line and go. We're probably now getting into the realm of the, if not absurd, at least it's it, yeah, ridiculous, it's, ridiculous, whatever. 
at some point, the whole point of having officials out there is to, you know, make sure that the game is being played fairly on. But at what point did we start taking it out of their hands? Well, see, that's my other big complaint is that there's still too much that's not in the player's hands. That's one of my big, 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 enormous objections to having the trapezoid and to having the you can't scoop the puck back on a faceoff with your forearm or glove, even if you don't close your hand um, rules. Look, if a player wants to put their hand down there under their opponent's stick, yeah. let them. It's the consequences to their body. They're grownups. <clears throat> let them do it. They're choosing to – wait, wait, wait. In the case of Berger, they're choosing to play with broken fingers, punctured lungs, broken ribs, uh, meniscus yes. tears. So if they're adult enough to make those decisions – yeah. And they want to stick their hand down there and get it whacked at by the opposing player's stick. Well, that's their decision. If a goaltender who is either good, bad, or indifferent at moving the puck wants to skate out and take care and att- attempt to get to the puck and attempt to make a play, um, let them. If their coach hasn't specifically forbid them to do it because they completely and totally are inept at it, let them. And you the more it. the players control the flow of the game, the better the product. Like, look at yeah. those preseason games that we've been to, even like rookie games uh, that we've been to at the Garden, yes. where the officials basically don't call anything less than a headshot or a spear. Does anyone ask for their money back after those games? Of course not. Those games are near playoff loud. Or preseason, when most people couldn't pick five of the 22, five of the 19 guys or 20 guys who made the game roster. Well, it's playoffs. First of all, the refs probably have like dinner time. I mean, not playoffs, preseason, yeah. It's preseason. The refs are probably looking for an excuse to get out. They might have a dinner time or a tea time or... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so they don't call every infraction. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I would prefer the much lighter calling as a rule. And in fact, I, I think well, if the if we can do away with the puck over the glass thing, that one I think you would have to. I think you would have to limit it to consecutive calls making it a penalty or a total of three in a period and make it not make it an automatic bench penalty. Okay. Um, because yes, I can see it being abused. Yeah. But as it stands, no. In fact, the only other thing that I, that I might want to change would actually be something that we saw done first very consistently here and that's the high lob to clear like that sky hook that Chara used to do and that other players have picked up on over the last 10 or 12 years to clear it from the defensive zone yeah <sighs> why is that a, why is that a problem I mean he's clearing it out of the zone it lands because it it takes the it takes the flow out and requires less 
it gives less opportunities for other players to play the puck and make something exciting happen because it's effectively very nearly icing. And a high percentage of them do turn into icing. I want the puck on someone's stick as much as possible. Well, then do away with icing. No, I think if you do away with icing, you're going to see more more dumping, more puck dumping. Okay. Uh, it's like I don't like dump and chase hockey, not just because it's ugly, but because I don't think it's effective or exciting. And have we wandered off the rails already? Yes, we just have. a little bit. Yes, we have. Um, let's take a look. <laughs> Since we've been talking about the Bruins, uh, let's talk about the Bruins a little bit. Uh, Dominic Tiano, who is one of my favorite uh, hockey writers, um, has has his marching orders for the Boston Bruins for the offseason. Um, he posted a title or a, a he's got a post up titled. The Boston Bru- the offseason work begins now for the Boston Bruins. Well, they um, have, they've hired Jim Montgomery. I was going to say they they completed step one. They finally have a head coach. We'll 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 get to that after the summary. Oh, um, the okay. sense is that Patrice Bergeron will actually sign soon. I really? don't believe it until it actually happens. Um, replacements for Kevin Dean and Kim uh, Brandvold. And then making decisions on Chris Kelly and Joe Sacco, who he believes will be will be retained. Um, there's a there's speculation about a potential buyout of Nick Foligno, and we talked about this early in the season uh, or halfway through the season when uh, what is it? Sarah Yurchkovich said that this might be his last game. Oh, so uh, in Columbus. Oh, yes. Back uh, earlier. In that was, the, yeah, that was two, so, three months ago at this point. Yeah. Sophia made the comment that you might be playing his last game. And he didn't correct her, which I which, which was also part of why I found it so interesting. Um, there's talk about an extension for. Um, for Pasternak and, of course, the inevitable, which. Former Boston Bruin is coming back to Boston. Oh, stop. In this case, Zdeno Chara and Yaro Halak, because I think it's illegal to actually write about the Boston Bruins uh, for anything more than one player and not mention specific, not mention former Bruins coming back to town. It, it's probably actually illegal because in this article, he covers three. David Krejci yeah. and plus the two I just mentioned. Uh, All of them from the same small stretch of ground. They're all from that same little country, yeah. Maybe uh, maybe Swingers can make one trip over and convince all three. Okay, A, no, B, no, no. C, no. I don't know if he could. I don't know if he could say no. Any? It, it, how many different ways he can say no? You should ask Zdeno Chara. He speaks at least eight or nine languages. So. Oh, that's right. He does. But. He hasn't said. I'm, I'm t- obviously I'm talking about <clears throat> DK David Krejci because he hasn't. He said no in countless ways, and we still and, and even Tiano is still writing. That, uh, they're hoping he's gonna come back. <sighs> so how did 
Sweeney get an extension when he, he's still hoping that David Craig is coming with? I don't know. Maybe there wasn't anyone available for for Neely to replace him with. Well, I can find a solution there. Uh, I could probably find four. Not including myself. No, well, solution number one is replace Neely and then let Neely's replacement find somebody to replace Sweeney. <sighs> yeah. Um. So... Of these, of these things, I think that signing Bergeron and laying the groundwork for him to come back to play his 20th season, because very few players ever make it that long in that, in that uh, same conversation, um, you know, make it clear, as long as you're happy to play, as long as you're contributing, we're going to keep signing you. Um Okay, and I I tend to agree. I think that Bergeron, I think that getting Ber- ink on Bergeron on a deal from Bergeron is very important. I also think that in ten days they need to at least start the process of getting ink on an extension for David. If Not they crazy. cannot sign Pasternak before training camp opens, in fact, I would say well, if you can't sign David Pasternak. Before the end of July, he needs to be traded. I know a lot of Bruins fans don't want to hear that, but if you can't come to an agreement about what he's worth for even a two or three year deal, and I'm not saying it has to be an eight year deal that gives the, that's a club friendly deal. I'm saying if you can't come to a deal, you you, literally, you have to you have to move him. You cannot let him you cannot let him walk out the door and get nothing for him. Because you have Bergeron, who is thirty-eight years old at this point. If you trade him, you're going to be lynched. The fans will rise up and if not and certainly lynch you in epic in effigy. Yes. Um uh, Brad Marchand is no longer young. Really? And he's your next best for he's your those are your three best forwards. Yeah. Uh, Marchand is thirty-four. He has two more seasons after this one on his contract. Um he'll be yeah, he just turned thirty-four. Um so his next contract one number one, he's probably got the most team friendly contract in the NHL over the last six or seven years. Um, is this Pasternak or Marsh? No, Marshap. I mean, points production, Selkie votes, votes for other major <laughs> awards. Uh, absolutely the most valuable contract to a team uh, on a dollar per dollar basis. Period. Um, Excuse me. I agree. You have Pasternak, Marshand, and Bergeron in three years. You need to replace them with something. If it's if Marshan if Pasternak needs to go, you need to come back with a top three draft pick for the twenty twenty three draft. At least one prospect who who is very strong, gonna be a 
second line player at worst. And you probably need a roster player as well. Can Sweeney secure that? Huh. I don't know. I would I like know. to believe so. I don't know that he can secure dinner. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, on the back end, on the back end, they're actually not in terrible shape right now. Okay. You've got, you've got the defense that you need to go into next season, even with all the injuries. Cause yes, McAvoy and Grizzly are both going to be out for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. That well, just gives both, you I, I think they're both going to miss this. They're expected to both miss the start of the season. How far into the season they go is uh, where it gets sketchy. Um, it, well, actually, Brad Marchand is going to be out sometime, too. Yes. So between the three of them, uh, you've got cap space accumulating pretty heavily. Um, assume, I mean, assuming all three are out for 10 days, that's 30, that's 30 man days at an average salary. That's, a, that's right around 7 million. Uh, cause 6.1 for Brad six point. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Um, Grizzly is a little lower. Um, Grizzly is 3.7 essentially. And McAvoy is 9.5. So right around six in a, I'd have to do the math, but that's 30 days extra money. It's going to get filled by guys in Providence right now. It's probably going to get filled by maybe uh, Zaboral ends up playing uh, opening week or opening two weeks. Um, maybe they bring back Josh Brown for the year. Um, not, I don't know if they're going to, what they're going to do with their Unsigned RFAs in Providence. I haven't heard that they're not going to resign Akan or Wolf, but those are your most experienced uh, players down there. Akan has actually played uh, a couple of NHL games. Wolf has not yet. And then you're into the true prospects. Guys who have never touched the NHL. Okay. Never come close. Um, unless they sign a depth defenseman this offseason, specifically to play heavy minutes in the first month and a half and then enjoy the luxuries of the ninth level. Oh, goodness. I don't no. see it happen. You say, you say it like that, and I, I have visions of John Moore coming back. Bite your tongue. You're the one who said it. You, 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 I didn't say his step. name. I did not say his name. You don't have to. I can in I can actually I was thinking of some guy things. that they ticked off Steve Camper. They probably ticked off twice at this point. Well, they yeah he. I don't know if he's going to come back for a third bite of the cherry. I don't know. If uh, I don't think it will happen under the Sweeneys. So good. Um and then Dom also put out a prospect ranking for Boston. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you look at it. Yeah, I was. Oh, I, I've just been in part. You can say that this list presents some definite strong potential, or you can say, "Holy God, what a nightmare the system is." And I somewhat suspect it's a mixed bag. 
Because John Beecher was supposed to be the second coming, the next top pairing or top two line defense uh, forward, uh, top two line center for the Boston Bruins. He was 30th pick overall in 2019, and he's listed fifth, fifth on this list. We had we a couple of shows back. We mentioned the the issue is that he's I don't think I'm not saying that John Beecher is the number one prospect on the team, but I think that we haven't seen because of what he was asked to do at Michigan with all of the other players that they've had in that in that in that school the things he was asked to do the positions he was asked to play I don't think we've seen what John Beecher can truly do I hope that's true but having watched having watched Michigan more than probably most people in the Massachusetts area sure they every time they get that can't miss high school recruit or can't miss, you know, USHL recruit or whatever. Beecher was taking, Beecher was asked to take a step back. He's a team, he was a team leader. He wore a C. I mean, you get those for a reason. You don't just, they don't just slap a C on your chest, even at the college level. It's not just, hey, you're a senior. You get to be captain because, I mean, Boston University, Grizzly had a C on his chest as like a sophomore. So, you know, getting to be a captain doesn't necessarily just because you're a senior, you get to be a captain. You still have to earn it, especially at the schools where where hockey matters. I get that. I don't disagree. But he's still ranked fifth by Dominic Tiana, who is a pretty well-read and strong observer of hockey. And a couple of weeks back, uh, our show featured a discussion of uh, Kirk Ledecky's tweet about the signing of uh, Georgi uh, Merkulov yeah. and how that instantly vaulted him to being the being the Bruins' number one center uh, in the prospect pool. Mm-hmm. Merkulov is only ranked third on the list. Center is arguably your most important, your biggest need. Um, and of the skating positions, you can make, you can argue all day whether it's center or defense that's most important. Um, I I think it comes down to the system, but that particular free agent signing is only third on your list. So either Fabian Lassell listed at one A, he was the twenty first pick in twenty twenty one, or Mason Lorai, fifty eighth pick in twenty twenty, um, are either a lot better. And that's an awesome thing. Or Merkulov is not as good as some of his fans uh, would have you think, which is certainly possible because he was never drafted. Um, yes, there are like the current, like the current Montreal Canadiens head coach. There are absolutely players who are never drafted who do amazing things in the league. Mm-hmm. I don't get the impression Merkulov is going to be quite that good. And I haven't, I certainly haven't heard or seen anything that's going. I, ha- I haven't seen enough of him to make a decision on how 
good when when they first announced his signing. It was like I trust I trust Kirk Ludecky. You and I both know him. You probably know him a little better than I do. I don't know how far that extends, but we both know him. I think we I can safely say we both trust him as far as his information and his his evaluation of players. So if he says that he is as good, I just haven't seen him personally, so I can't give you a firsthand account of how I feel about the player. Totally fair. Um, but the prospect pool is something that they need to work on. Um, and when we looked at the, when we look at that first article, should, eighth, uh, should the person in eighth be actually be on the list since he's actually, you know, I don't know, played with the Bruins. He played like five games. Well, okay. He played more than five games, but I don't think he played long enough to be not considered a prospect anymore. Okay. Fair enough. Um, if he'd had three seasons where he got in like nine or ten games and yeah. mostly sat in the press box, sure. Like Stodnika, who isn't on the list anymore. And according to Tiano, Ashan is no longer on the list because he's aged off of it. And McLaughlin is actually only 22. He got into 11 NHL games, three goals, um, no assists, interestingly, um, and then one Providence game. I mean, what I saw of Mark McLaughlin, I, I dig. I like what I saw. I, I, I think it was a decent signing. I, no complaints as of yet. If he comes back in year two and suddenly regresses and doesn't look like he's putting forth the effort, then. So you're you're saying if he comes in and Bochenski's himself, uh, he's. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever going to, because I don't know that anybody in Boston will let you live it down, especially those that were around when he played um, here. Now, on thickening up that prospect pool and mm-hmm. the and the depth both in Providence and here uh, in Boston, uh, there's a report out of Ottawa that Braintree native Adam Gaudet will not receive a qualifying offer from the Senators. Um, he'll be a UFA um, in his career. He's uh, he's bounced between several teams. Um, the Senators are the most recent team, but he played for Chicago. He played for Vancouver. Uh, that's where he was originally drafted. Yeah, I was going to say he's drafted by Vancouver. So, And he played here in Boston. Northeastern. Northeastern Huskies for uh, three sol- three solid seasons after a year in the USHL. <sighs> this is one of those guys who you just I don't know. You need to send him to the gym with one of those real meatheads for a couple of months, like the guys who for whom bulking season is a real thing. Like the guy's six one and weighs one hundred and seventy pounds. Eat a sandwich. Like, dude, get some get get your uh, posterior a couple of gallons of protein powder between now and the rest uh, now and the start of the season, and come into camp at like one eighty two. Come into camp at one eighty two. I was thinking one eighty five, but okay, one eighty two, good number. I, look, I'm not pressing him. <laughs> if we can get if we can get that far, I'll be happy. Um, but. 
if you're looking for a guy to ride the uh, ride the 95 expressway uh, up and down between Providence and Boston all season, he's a center. He's right-handed. He's still young. Um, he's got talent. Like he's got solid hands. I'm sure if you put him full time in the AHL, he's probably going to become he's going to come close to a point per game. Um, if you slap him on that Providence roster, he probably becomes the best offensive weapon of uh, compared to anyone signed right now or who was there last year because yeah, they were not good. Um, has he has he spent a lot of time? And I I asked this only because I haven't. I've been. He's only played 16 games in the AHL. That's where I was going. He's never. He never had time to get his feet wet. I don't know quite how to say, it, but acclimatize. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. I think that this is a guy. Oh, and going back to that argument of mine about certain yeah. awards in college. Well, it, it kind of got disproved this year, so. Mm, exception to the rule. Ah, well, the kill McCarr is a pretty big exception. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this is the 1718 Hobie Baker Award winner. Um, Adam Gaudet. Adam Gaudet. You still firmly believe that that Hobie Baker Award is like a, a, a harbinger of doom for hockey players? Historically, it has been more I, often than not. If you I look at the, the last 10 years, it's a little bit different, but not that problem, much different. I think the problem with Hobie Baker Award winners is the expectation that's placed on them when they get to the next level. Mm, is it that? Because let's take a look. Uh, How many Hobie Baker Award winners have met that expectation? Okay, Kale McCarr. Um, <laughs> Because let's see, there's going back to 2009-10, yeah. Blake G- Jeffrian, Andy Mele, uh, Jack Connolly, Drew LeBlanc, Johnny Goudreau, Jack Eichel, Jimmy VC, Will job. Butcher, Adam Gaudet, Kale McCarr, Scott uh, Peronovich, Cole Caulfield, and Dryden McKay. Cole, Cole Caulfield came in, had a fantastic playoff run. And then the next season was struggling. Useful. Struggling to the point where they sent him down. He had 23 goals in 67 games as yes. essentially a rookie as a rookie. Yes, but I he don't was think that's it, terrible because but of it's, because of the playoffs that he had when he came back for the next the beginning of the next season. He wasn't performing. They sent him down. And I think that that was as much their mistake to overestimate him and assume that that was the real deal for a five foot seven hundred and sixty six pound forward as much as it was his. Um, For Scott Peronovich, not in the NHL yet. Or I'm sorry, he did play in the NHL. Um, His last year at Minnesota, he had 40 points in 34 games. um, Five foot ten, hundred and seventy five pound defenseman. No First way. year in the pros, he had 22 points in 17 games for the AHL Springfield Thunder. Um, and then in the regular season, in 19 NHL games, he had six assists. Um, in seven playoff games, he had four assists. Mm. Uh, jury's out. 
we'll wait yeah. another two seasons before we we know what no. Kale McCarr's done. Adam Gaudet has done not a huge amount. Uh, Will Butcher, um, almost a punchline. Well, again, it's more of a quick burning flame that turns into a heap, heaping pile of ash. I mean, he, I haven't seen or heard from him. Is he still in New Jersey? I don't even remember where he is. Um, exactly. His first season when he came out no, of Denver. He was, he was with Buffalo last season. Um, okay. 37 games, two two goals, six assists. When Previous he came season out of, with the, came out with of Denver. Devils. Yeah. Previous season with the Devils was one goal and ten assists. Ouch. Um, and then back to uh, Jimmy VC. <laughs> um, in 422 NHL games, he has 72 goals, 63 assists, 135 points. In 12 career playoff games, he's won four and five. Um, so wait, let me understand this. He actually is approaching 500 games in his career. He's actually he should actually well. If he's healthy and and ends up playing 80 of 82 games this year, he will hit 500 games. Wow. Um, Jack Eichel, um, aside from an inability to stay healthy, um, is actually having a solid career, a good career. If he can, if in Vegas he can actually get back to high end production. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I, I so, still I would still put him in the exception to the rule category. So going back over twelve years, we've got what three players? Three players. Yeah. Goudreau, Eichel, Makar. A couple of guys who the jury is still out on. Yeah, fair enough. Peronovich, yeah, yeah. I, I would still say the jury is out on on Cole Caulfield too, because I do think he's got I think he's got some. He's got I mean, what we what we saw him do in in the playoffs with Montreal was eye opening to to to. But it was also the combination of him and Nick Suzuki both being a unknowns to the NHL mm-hmm. and b that injection of raw enthusiasm to a roster that knew it was not good enough to make the playoffs in an ordinary season. But this season, Nick, this past season, Nick Suzuki ended up being Montreal's best player, and Cole Caulfield was was not not their <laughs> second best. That's entirely fair. Um, I so, think Nick Suzuki is a little bit closer to league average in size, though. Not a huge amount, but I think that he's not he's not someone that Zdeno Chara could do curls with. Nick Suzuki? Nick Suzuki is 5'11", 205. 205 is about... Okay, see, there's a boy who ate a sandwich. (laughs) Adam, look at Nick. Eat a sandwich. (laughs) And yes, some of it is genetic. Some people just don't gain weight. Yes, but when half the players that are coming into the NHL are 5'10 and 150 or 160, it's not all genetics. Some of them need to eat a a sandwich or two. 
or get some protein powder or however they're going to pack on the pounds and turn it into muscle. But do it. <laughs> I don't know. I like Adam Gaudet. I like what I saw of him when he was here at Northeastern. I, after leaving, I honestly – I followed him for a little bit just to keep an eye on – because I try to keep an eye on the New England players that – you know, but – it got to the point where there were others to follow. He wasn't – he just wasn't maintaining. He, 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 I would be okay with them signing him to a two-year, two-way contract, give him 850, 900000 in the NHL, give him 200000 in the AHL, or even 150000 in the AHL, and call it, call it a day. Okay. Um – so if the senators aren't signing him, uh, they do have some other work to do because they have the they have a ridiculous amount of cap space. Ridiculous. They're I believe the number is right around twenty three million. Really? So a quarter of the cap free. Wow. And there are <clears throat> there are a great number of free agents uh, available. Um, some people have speculated that they're going to trade that they might be talked into trading uh, up or down a little bit. I believe they're set to draft like eight. Um, they have Brady Kachuk signed. They have uh, Drake Batherson and Colin White signed. Mm-hmm. Um, they do probably need to get Josh Moore, uh, Josh Norris extended, but I, I suspect that they might have just enough cap space. Barely. 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 Yeah. At twenty three million. Okay. Yes. Twenty three two five six seven eighty six. How many other players do they need to get? <clears throat> uh they have fifteen signed players. And yes, none of the uh every every other position is at least um at least in a reasonable place. Uh okay. they need to sign a second goaltender. But Shabbat is signed. Um they have and- and for you, that's the only thing that's really important. We know that. Shabbat is still, I think Shabbat is their best player. Not disagreeing. I mean, I I really like the Kachuks. I think that uh, Drake Batherson is going to be a name known to many in the next couple of years. Agreed. Um, and Josh Norris is certainly someone uh, worth knowing. And they also have Tim Stutzla. Uh, who will, who won't be due for a contract until next off season? But that Senators team is going to be one to watch because they have a strong young core. We've been saying that for a couple of seasons now. Uh, I know that the Columbus Blue Jackets made that great jump up to chasing the playoffs last season. If they can get some good goaltending here. Uh, and they pick up even one useful free agent this offseason. Just one. Uh, for either forward or defense. This is going to be a team that makes noise uh, probably from Thanksgiving right through the trade deadline at, at, at worst. And if they're really lucky or really hot um, or, you know, two or three other teams, including Boston, aren't playing to their potential. Don't be surprised if they're if they're in it to the last week of the season. The Senators. The Senators. Do they make the playoffs? 
that would take a lot of assistance from other teams. Unless they get obscenely aggressive and lucky in in their offseason signings. Like, if Bergeron doesn't come back, if their defense is out, if their defensemen are out longer than expected, or, or Brad Marchand is out longer than expected, that that opens the gateway a little bit. That said, mm-hmm. if you look at some of the UFAs, they probably have the juice to sign both Claude Giroux and Johnny Goudreau this offseason. That would juice their offense a lot. As far as their defense, uh, I think there's there's definitely less there's definitely less blue chip. In fact, I'm not even sure there is a blue chip defenseman available. You can make the argument that it's uh, Klingberg or Manson. Okay. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure I get on board with actually calling them elite top 10, top 20 defensemen. And I'd probably shake my head at actually hearing anyone say it out loud. Really? There's something I'd see. That said, if you if they're the right element and you add them to a team that's already got good components, yeah, and the Senators team does, you you can make some noise. I want the Senators to make some noise. We've been saying it the last couple of years now. You know, if there's one team that I'd want to be general manager of. And, and, and there are those persistent rumors the team is going to be sold uh, with the uh, passing of their former owner and his daughters being under 25. I believe they're both I thought, the da- I thought the daughters were interested in, in hanging on to it, though. I thought I read that somewhere. Unless I, I said there was speculation. I haven't. I looked this morning. I didn't see any stories uh, on a on a pending sale or anything. I did see a, that they had won uh, land for a new arena, um, and that's something we'll talk about in the near future. Um, your boys, the Red Wings, have their own new head coach, and. I didn't know who it would be, but I am not at all surprised as to where he came from. Go ahead. Not one bit at all surprised as to where he came from. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay, fine. Derek Lalonde, formerly an assistant coach under your favorite and, well, not so much mine, John Cooper down in Tampa Bay is the new head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, he's been an assistant down there for the past four seasons. Uh, he has familiarity with Steve Eisman, which explains why he was waiting and hadn't made any kind of moves to secure a head coach. And I thought the Bruins were taking their own sweet time. Eisenman was just playing the waiting game until Tampa Bay was done with the playoffs and he could actually get Derek signed. I think that he brings a pedigree of winning uh, I see a lot in Detroit as to what they did in Tampa Bay, so I think that he's he's going to be a good fit. 
he's going to have to put together a lot of youngsters and that as a team that was one of the youngest in the NHL, they are only going to get younger. They're going to bring up Simon Edmondson. You're going to have Jonathan. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Uh, there's an element in this story that terrifies me as a hockey fan. And what element would that be? It's it's a quote by your boy, Stevie. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. I find it difficult to hire people that you don't really know. And that bothers you because? It echoes strongly of the must-speak-French-as-their-primary-language Montreal Canadiens Mm. and how extremely it limits the talent pool. I think that that, – Yes, the Eiserman's been around a while, and yes, he knows people. But aren't you supposed to be hiring the body of talent uh, or the body of experience and interviewing to get to know them? Unlike unlike a certain GM here in Boston that can't seem to explain anything to the fan base, Eisenman elaborated on the comment and said he prefers to hire individuals that have worked with him and know how he likes things to be done. So it's you're not saying because he speaks with French. Narrow- so you're saying he's a control freak with really narrow uh, vistas. I'm sorry. I know that you want to give credit to Tampa Bay and what's going on there, but who built that organization? Steve Eiserman. They didn't win anything while he was still GM. No, I'm sorry. They're they're reaping the benefits now. Did, did they win G- anything while he was GM? Yes. Did, no. Did, what cups? How many cups did they win while he was GM? Okay. Zero. None. And like the draft picks that are currently winning cups were all drafted by. Oh, let me see. Was it Brisebois? Oh, no, no, because he wasn't GM at the time. Oh, it was Iserman. Someone still has to put it together and make it work at the time it happens. Well, then you can't then then you have to give John Cooper more credit than you're willing to give him because you don't like John Cooper. I don't like John Cooper either. I get it. But if you're not going to allow Eisenman to get any credit for what that organization has done. I didn't say that he made terrible choices, but trying to give him more credit than the person who's actually general manager there now because Breeze Blah hasn't had to do much except make a couple of moves. Yes, he's made smart moves. Oh, wait, he worked under Iserman. It's kind of like being a head coach under Bill Belichick in football. Yeah, but this this one, Iserman hasn't won anything near as much in his position as Belichick has in his. And if my if I'm discomforted by the by the closeness to the Montreal limiter of talent, I actually should probably be drawing a more tighter relationship to what the Oilers attempted to do for 10 years by cycling three different guys through general manager, president, and head coach, and going absolutely nowhere with it. I, this is going to bite him in the butt. And when did when did the just out of curiosity, the whole when did they move Brasher Falls, New York into Canada? 
I don't Derek even know Lalonde, what you're talking about. Derek Lalonde is from Brasher Falls, New York. So the whole Eisenman wants French Canadian speaking this and that. That's not what I said. He's an I American. The Canadians wanted only French speaking. Ah. If you actually listen to me, maybe you'll learn something. I think that Derek Lalonde is going to work out. He gave he gave Blaschel as much time as he could. There's the 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 age old phrase of he lost the locker room after seven years. Is it possible? Probably. I think it's more the fact that they haven't shown significant improvement. They've shown some improvement. But I don't think that after six or seven years, not to improve, it was not a big enough step. And I think that's part of what played into it as well. And since we're talking, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, is is he the right choice? I I think that at this point, yeah, he's got to be the right choice. I think that I think that Eisenman might have some trust in him having worked with him before. And I think that that's going to, uh, if that relationship works and he's able to bring those young guys in and, and get them to, to play at their top level, 110%, then yeah, I think that we're, we're looking at a decent, a decent choice here. Decent. Wow. What a ringing endorsement. Well, I, I won't give ringing. I won't give that ringing endorsement to the other one. Not yet. Anyway. Um, are, by the other one, are you talking about Paul Maurice being hired as the Florida Panthers new head coach? I'm still unsure on that one. I don't know why you go from a guy who brings your team to the playoffs and and the first and a the first win in longer than most of those players have been alive. And then the you turn season. around and go, you know what? Thanks for your service, but we're going to go in another direction. I don't know if I buy that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's a very weird thing, but. That team is definitely in the middle of their window. I think they've probably got two, maybe three more years with their core. Given how well they played in the first round and how well they put their uniforms on in the second round, uh, when they lost to Tampa, Mm -hmm. I would be severely concerned as general manager. So you're okay with them getting rid of... I understand the move of moving out on a a head coach, an interim head coach at that. No, he Um, never did lose the... He never did lose the interim. had that level of collapse. Because it was a collapse. You can call it anything else. You can... it, It was... Andrew Burnett's team collapsed. Whether he's 100% to blame, 80% to blame, 70% to blame, or even only 40% to blame for that collapse. Watching the games, I didn't see enough in-game adjustment or verve behind the net, uh, behind the bench to make me believe that he was trying to correct course with all tools at his disposal. Um, 
were there any big any big decisions that I mean like glaring that you go oh my god he should have made that adjustment oh my god he should have swapped out Duclair for this guy or oh he should have done I mean are there any glaring ones or is it just just a, a an abundance of little ones I think it's an abundance of little ones I mean you can a big decision is always easy to point to pin down but when mm-hmm. there's a one wrong big decision looks worse in a lot of ways, okay. but that's usually something that if the person understands they've made a mistake is going to uh, hurt forever. And they're probably going to avoid making that same mistake again. But when you, when you're essentially, when you're trying to evaluate the other variety, which is what we saw and you're trying to nail jello to a wall, maybe Burnett just needs more seasoning as an assistant um, or as a head coach in a, in a lower league at a lower level. I don't know. Now, Paul Maurice as the replacement. (laughs) Paul Maurice to me is a guy who you, I don't like putting it this way. I don't, want to disrespect either him or Winnipeg, but he's one of those guys you bring in to a mid-market team and know that they're not going to suck even if the roster, and know that the product isn't going to suck even if the roster does, because he's really good at managing the middle of the roster and the bottom of the roster um, and probably overplays his biggest stars into injuries. Okay. I don't don't think he's a bad, bad coach. I don't even think he's, I think he's a slightly above average coach, but I do not think that he's like an elite coach. Do you need an elite coach to win? As Tampa has shown us, the answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) I know how much you love. You do not need an elite coach to win. I just, um, I is love this roster in- as good as Tampa? Nope. <sighs> I think can good in different ways. Yes. I don't know that they're... They're not directly comparable. Right. That's what I get. Yeah, that's what I was trying to go for. Okay. Yes. I, I, they are a very good <laughs> franchise. Very well put together. I, I have no complaints with who you brought in. I, I think if I had to make any complaints, it would be that you're paying $10 million to Sergey Bobrovsky. But because <laughs> uh, I don't know that Sergey Bobrovsky is worth $10 million. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure he's not. Uh, but you bring in guys like Duclair. You bring, I mean, the deals that they made at, at the deadline – they're a well put together organization. I think that they should not have collapsed quite uh, with the loud resounding thud that they did against Tampa Bay. That was just. And without a stir of life. Yeah, I mean, it was bad. Having a one or two game collapse. If they lost, in, if they lost in six, wasn't that a sweep? Didn't that that, the that, that was one? a sweep. Yeah, if they lost in six, lost in seven, different story. Even if they lost in five and looked good in their win and one of the losses. Okay. But 
what we saw. <laughs> yeah, it was not pretty, if I remember correctly. Not pretty at all. It wasn't so even you, watchable. So you bring in Paul. You bring in Paul Maurice, who was in charge when they went to the Western Conference Final against Vegas in their inaugural season. And that's as close as they've come to sniffing a cup. Yep. Which is closer than many organizations. I'm not saying that that's not impressive, but they haven't been able to get back to that level or come close to it since then. And you're going to bring Maurice in and say, hey, the last guy was an interim and he got us into the second round. You know, what are you going to do for us? I, I, I just, okay. I don't so, know that I'm ready to trust him to, I don't know. Let's set our expectations for these three head co- new head coaches Who's for the, the season. One? Or what you think the organization has set as their expectations for the new season. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll go. Yeah, but who's the third head coach? You have Montgomery, Maurice. We haven't discussed Montgomery yet. What? We haven't discussed Montgomery yet. <laughs> we, didn't name, we talked about him being named as head coach. Oh, that's about as far as we're going to go with it. <laughs> Let's talk about Montgomery then. No, I'm just I'm just saying, do, do we want to go into whether okay. it's a. Let's go into him. Die. All right. I, I, so Jim Jim Montgomery, go ahead. Yeah, Jim Montgomery. Last time he was head coach was in Dallas. Uh, spent the last couple of seasons with St. Louis, which I think is a good thing because he, his exit from Dallas was not quiet. And I think that he needed to go somewhere and sort of uh, – rebuilt his reputation a little bit without without being in the spotlight yeah I'm just I I guess I'm concerned because I don't know what to expect from him as a head coach he was not there very long yes good seasons or a season and a half of good hockey they lost in the second round in his first season 43 and 32 Mm-hmm. In his second season, he had a 597 win percentage when he, when the position of head coach was vacated because okay. of his off ice incident, whatever it might have been. Um, I still don't. Uh, again, I'm, I, I don't know that this one's the right move either. I think that it's and, not a move that inspires much confidence from me, mm-hmm. and I will. I say that despite the fact that he has two championships uh, in the ECH or in the USHL with uh, the Dubuque Fighting Saints. Okay. He won two in, th- in a three-year span there. Um, he's coached at college. Uh, he coached in the ECAC at RPI, <coughs> CCHA um, at Notre Dame, both as assistants. Um, he was the head coach in Denver for yeah. five years. National championship. Um, no, well, uh, that's not noted here, but go ahead. Um, 
I how did I thought they won the national championship one year that he was there. I know they had like I know that they've had many much talent roll through there under him. I mean, he it, there was a list in one of the stories. Uh, obviously, Will Butcher is there, Troy Terry. I mean, he's had some he's had some talent roll through under his uh, watchful eye when he was at Denver. But I just I'm I. I I know I agree with you, and I don't know if you said it. I know you oh, said it to right. me, but he did when um, he had he had uh, a really impressive record in his five years there. Um, I might be coming around very slightly on him. Okay. Slightly. I mean, slightly. in sixteen seventeen, they won the NCAA championships. Um, somehow in. And this all the all of this was in Denver. So in thirteen fourteen, uh, they were sixth in the somehow northeast in Denver. Thank you NCAA. Um, in oh wait a minute, that's that's where they're playing, not necessarily their own geography. But um, in fourteen fifteen, they went to the East Region Final. In fifteen sixteen, they were third, went to the Frozen Four. 16-17 NCAA champions, um, and then in 17-18 Midwest Regional Final. Um, so, yeah, he's he's one in the college level. He's one at the USHL level. I don't know that there's enough NHL pedigree to get super excited about, um, but I don't – this isn't – this isn't a guy who, to me, says I'm confident as a general manager. This isn't a guy that, to me, says I'm confident this guy can work with my stars, my future stars, and the role players, uh, and and win consistently. I would be delighted to be proven wrong. Yes, absolutely. As would I. I think I agree with. Uh, no, I'm not think. I'm. I'm cert, I'm pretty positive that I agree with you when you say that the issue of hiring Jim Montgomery is not necessarily a knock against him, but the fact that a lot of the other name coaches did not want to come to Boston. And, and I haven't said that during the recording, but I've said after I said that after right. last week and earlier today before we hit the record button. That's when it was. OK, yeah, that I genuinely believe a lot of the coaches who are <clears throat> taking a year off or mm-hmm. remaining um, with national programs or something like that. And it's not just Boston. I think that there are other general managers who probably have a much shorter leash than they would like to believe. Um, I think that the Islanders are another case of that. You know, there's a good chance that that general manager is not going to be there in a year and a half or even a year. Lou Lamorello was definitely not the youngest general manager in the league either. True. True. Um, And that team has not been inspiring in the last two or three seasons. But yeah, I, but I. But I, back to Boston. I'm pretty um, certain that yes, Montgomery is looking to. 
he's the best. He's the most likable. I think he's the person that Sweeney liked the most of the guys who were willing to make themselves available to the Bruins. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, to use that marvelous uh, colloquialism from 80s and earlier college parties that uh, Sweeney showed up to a pig party and won. But um, I don't this isn't the coach that screams to me that everyone is enthusiastic about it. Um, I quipped on Twitter a couple of, or when I first heard of the announcement that I wonder if uh, Jacobs had, had drafted his uh, vote of confidence yet, but, uh, and that being for Sweeney. His vote of confidence statement. (laughs) Yeah. For Sweeney and Neely, but uh, I, and I, I definitely feel a little tiny bit better about Montgomery, but it's only a little tiny bit. Very interesting to see. The championship pedigree and winning in two different leagues of hockey, even if you can make the argument that the USHL and college hockey are effectively equivalent. Um, I mean, you have slightly younger players coming into the USHL and slightly older players going into college. But for the most part, you're limited to a pretty narrow demographic. Um, and it's not like dealing with guys like Bergeron and Marchand who have already won a Stanley Cup, uh, won Olympic medals, competed all over the world and know their stuff um, and having to tune your message to those guys, as well as guys who were playing in the OHL last season and are still eligible to be sent back there. Um, in their first eight or ten games, uh, and not burn that entry level year. Okay. Uh, I'm willing. I'm willing to give him a shot. I mean, don't really have a choice, obviously. I, I didn't. No, it's. I think it's going to be an interesting. I think it's going to be an interesting, interesting. I mean, the kicker season. is that. Even 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 comments that I've read on Twitter on whatever in various places are all very polarizing responses. Some love this love this signing. Oh, great hire by and others completely trash it, hate it, dislike it. You know, I don't think I'm at either end of the spectrum. Like he didn't Sweeney didn't draft dust off Steve Casper and trot him onto the ice or uncle Dave or, okay. or bringing Mike Robbie, Babcock, Robbie, Robbie Fatorik, <laughs> Mike Babcock, uh, or that, 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 that would not have been a good sign. That, no, 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 no. I, I would be generally, uh, I would be genuinely tempted to walk into, I would have been genuinely tempted to walk into development camp and do some very antisocial things to Don Sweeney if he had actually put Mike Babcock in the head coaching slot in Boston. <laughs> Thankfully, he avoided that. Yes. But yes, I'm not inspired to awe at this pick. Um, I, I'm not... My level of enthusiasm is pretty absent. So having discussed our three head coaches, yes. What do you think are the organizational expectations for Montgomery this year? 
organizational expectations, uh, playoffs, second round minimum. It's the Bruins. They're an original six team. They're going to expect, they're going to have higher expectations from their coaches than Seattle. I would actually go second round and they need to win that. He needs to win two games in the second round in order to see, in order to keep the job. Okay. Um, what are your expectations for Paul Maurice or what do you think they are organizationally? Jesus. When, uh, when the second round, uh, he has to get he has to go farther than the guy he's replacing. Eastern Conference Finals minimum. It has to be if if you expect the same or less, then why did you make the change? I, I don't in any way disagree with you. I, I would I, I, I would uh, make the same um you might actually have to make the cup finals in order to uh, in order to hold your. No, I I don't think that's reasonable for a first round, first year coach. Um, it has to be more than he made. Brunette made it to the second round and fell on his face or the team fell on their face. And he was he he suffered the consequences, whichever you want, way you want to put it. You bring in Maurice, your expectation has to be at least win the second round. I would say that barring severe and multiple injuries to the top of the roster. Yes. But if, I mean, if for some reason you end up in a situation where the entire roster gets monkey pox and everyone making more than 4 million a season, uh, is out, uh, going into the playoffs, mm-hmm. you're probably not making it very far. Um, I mean, if you look at their roster and just for the discussion, say that Barkov, Reinhardt, Huberdeau, and Ekblad are all out when you go into the first round. Yeah. Are you really expecting them to win that round? No. Okay, I get that. And I understand that you can't do this in a vacuum. But if we're if if that's the case, then you go but based back on to a month. healthy roster, a reasonably healthy Thank roster. You. Yes, I fully agree with you. Eastern Conference Finals, or at least win through the second round. I at least win two games in the second round as a bare minimum. But I, I put I wrote down Eastern Conference Final as my expectations too. That's what and I wrote then, down. So. <laughs> Well, I wrote Eastern Conference Finals or no bad exit. A bad exit would be something like what we saw this year. (laughs) That's a bad exit. And then finally, we have your boy Lalonde. I'm I'm a tough critic. Make the playoffs. Um, I'm not saying win the first round. I make the playoffs. They haven't done it under Blatchel. They haven't done it. It's been at least seven years. Make the playoffs. Where did they finish points wise this year? Um, considering the way they start, they finished out of the playoffs, which I guess is all that really matters. But 
but it, it's it, considering the way that team started and the way they <clears throat> sort of flamed out. They finished with seventy four points. Okay, I will call my. I'll make my prediction. Eighty five or more points. I mean, they finished. Unfortunately, in the East, all eight the East teams. East was ridiculous this year. All eight teams getting a hundred points. So Detroit getting seventy four. I mean, they finished ten points behind the Islanders, who were sixteen points out of the second wild card. So maybe I should be a little bit lighter. Maybe I should be a little bit easier on them. But so eighty five points. Okay. I I mean I do like that one. Eighty five points. It's a it's a real close to the playoff. The number you need for the playoffs, which is normally ninety two to ninety three. Um, because I don't, it's an 11, it's an 11 point, it's an 11 point improvement and it's within screaming distance of the playoffs. It should mean that you're playing meaningful games down to the last two or three weeks of the season. And that's the problem is Detroit they haven't played a meaningful game in 10 years. They were playing. No, they were playing meaningful hockey earlier. But when the season started, when it started to come down, when they hit the deadline and everything else, at that point, they weren't playing meaningful games. They started out with a bang. They were in they they were in they were in a playoff seat for a little while. I mean, they just as the season progressed, they just went. Where's that cliff again? Oh, there it is. If you look at the if you look at the number total for um, the well actually to go back ten years I have to need, I have to go back first further um, from the eleven twelve season to through the twenty one twenty two season uh, the Detroit Red Wings have the twenty seventh most points in the NHL uh, with eight hundred and thirty one okay. in that time the Pittsburgh Penguins have a thousand and sixty eight regular season points. Wow. Um, even the Senators are actually four points better than Detroit. Well, they they actually they did make the playoffs. They they were I mean, yeah, made it deep and and if I'm not mistaken, it was a fairly deep run. Uh, I think they did they they, they did make the Eastern they made the they, Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years ago. I'd have to double they check. Not, did they not when? beat or lose to Pittsburgh in that in that? Was that? Uh, I think that was one of the back-to-back Pittsburgh years, yeah. Yes. And they made it to the Eastern Conference Final. Came up against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, and I don't, I don't think Pittsburgh steamrolled them either. I think it was five or six games. I mean, it was. So yeah, Ottawa being Ottawa having more points in Detroit. Not really shocked. They they've been. I just think that Detroit has been. They lost in the conference finals in sixteen seventeen. In seven games, they yeah. beat the Bruins and the Rangers in the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. Bruins. Mm-hmm. So that's another franchise that has not won a cup yet. Ottawa. Correct. Hmm. Um. So yeah, may, maybe make playoffs is a little too harsh, but eh, I'm going to leave it. That's what I. That's what I. Said as my song and leave it. Now, one interesting prediction, and we'll talk about some of the other possibilities next week. 
uh, mm-hmm. because we are really heavy on time at this point. Um, Sam Stern, who uh, is one of the more interesting uh, Twitter follows. This is an um, interesting prediction. At Sammy Stern is predicting that Alex Holtz wins the Calder Trophy for best rookie next year. You're gonna um, have got also, you're gonna you're gonna have Matty Beniers in Seattle. You're gonna have uh, a couple of the other Michigan kids coming in, and, and I you're mean, gonna have right wherever he gets drafted, first or second. Yeah. I think it's going to be an interesting competition next year, but. And Holtz only played nine games for Jersey. Um, So it's not like he's got a full season of NHL experience. Although he went down to, (laughs) he went down to the Utica Comets and played the game on easy. Um, 51 points. In 52 games, 26 goals, 25 assists, just 10 penalty minutes. Um, just putting in work. And the scary part is, is he wasn't even, he didn't even lead the team in scoring. Holtz is nasty himself. I, I love this. I love this comment. Holtz is nasty himself and Hughes is a kingmaker. So who has Hughes made into a kingmaker? Um, Hughes made had, into a king. Hughes had Hughes had nice numbers this year. Um, I think that Kingmaker might possibly be uh, a step too far. But I mean, Hughes Hughes put up fifty six points in forty nine games in the NHL himself. Um, and I think I think that Jesper Bratt was playing on his line a good portion of this season. I'd have to go back and look. But when I think Kingmaker and I know this is high praise, high expectations, but when I think Kingmaker, I think of Bergeron. I think of Martian. You play somebody on their line and they get better. They raise their game. Yeah, but I mean, look at what happened when they moved DeBrusque onto the top line with Bergeron and Marshawn. Suddenly everybody was like, oh, my God, DeBrusque can score goals. But DeBrusque could score goals before that. He just had not been in good headspace before that. Partly, I think, because of the head coach, partly because of away from the arena stuff. Yeah. But I just think I think Kingmaker might be a, a bit too far. I I think that Hughes is a I think that Hughes is a decent center. I think that if Holtz is playing on his line and he's so taking going to have, go ahead. And no, I was just going to say and he's taking pucks from Hughes that, yes, it could pretend. I don't I think part of my problem is I haven't seen enough of Alex Holtz, but. Interesting production. Interesting prediction for me. I mean, I that that's you want to talk about limbs and how wide they are. That one might be a little bit narrower than most. <laughs> so next season, um, we're talking about uh, Wright entering the league and a couple of others who are at yeah. the top of this year's draft, plus players who have been drafted in the last two or three years who are going to be rookies. We're going to put up a poll. And we're going to ask people what they think of Sean Stern, of Sam Sam Stern's uh, tweet. And then next week we're going to uh, assemble a short list of four or five guys we also think could make uh, – should be looking at being on that Calder trophy. 
Um, that poll will be up. Um, we'll put the link in the description for the show. Um, one more area to cover really, really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the expansion of the NHL footprint over the last 25 plus years has drawn a lot of criticism from north of the border and some of the cold weather markets here in the U.S. Um, NHL to Seattle tweeted a couple of days back a U.S. map, a map of the U.S. by number of player NHL players born in that state. Um, for the 91-92 season, and then for the 2020-21-22 uh, season. And not only is the number of states doubled, or maybe even more than doubled. So what, this is in the last 30 years? Yes. Okay. I want to make sure I got my math correct. Um. Just about every place where there are there is an NHL team now that there wasn't then has seen either their first NHL players or a ridiculous growth. Florida didn't have any players in the in the nineteen in the ninety one ninety two season. Mm-hmm. Texas only had one player born there. Um we know that the Atlanta Thrashers have moved in and out of Georgia in the time uh, since they were dra- uh, since the team was created, and they're now up in Winnipeg. Still no Georgia players, but the, ta- the all of the states touching Georgia, except for except hilariously for Tennessee, have gotten NHL players, including Alabama and is that Missis- that's Mississippi. Um. You have Texas, you have the entire Plain State, with the exception of what is that? Uh, yeah, North Kansas. Dakota 2, North Dakota 2, South Dakota 1, oh, uh, Kansas is the one with the zero, yeah. North, uh, you have North eight D- from Colorado versus none before 91-92. <laughs> uh, we have players, five players from Washington State. Two from Oregon, three from Alaska. Alaska has a teeny tiny population. One of them plays right here in Boston. And not only does it have a teeny tiny population, but their time zone is so far off of almost all of North America, the rest mm-hmm. of North America, that it's uh, where where their actual population sits. There's they're either getting up ridiculously early in the morning to see, or in the middle of the night to see East Coast games. Or they're staying up fairly late to watch those West Coast games. Um, this is impressive. You know, you can say a lot of things about Batman, and I probably said all of them, uh, several of them twice. Um, but just looking at all of the places where players are coming from now, I mean, the ex- the, the the way you places where you wouldn't expect. I mean, you went from three to thirteen in California. The rest of the West Coast, five in Wa- five in Washington, two in Oregon. Uh, you went from one to seven in Texas. Thirty more. But even places like Michigan, there were yeah. twenty-five in ninety-one, ninety-two, and forty-two in twenty-one, twenty-two. New York went up by twenty-four. They went up by a factor of five. 
They went from six to thirty. <laughs> six to thirty. Yeah. Uh, Indiana. Um, Virginia added players. Um, North Carolina, South Carolina. Ohio. Ohio went from four to eleven. <laughs> Illinois went from four to 13. So tripled up there. Um, But that West coast that went from just having the LA Kings to having three teams. Yeah. And despite the woeful, woeful saga of the coyotes in the desert (laughs) still went from zero players to four players including a guy who was Four. taken first That's overall. a six. Oh, you're right. That's a six. Sorry. That's a six. That's a six <laughs> including a guy taken first overall. Um, I, mean, yeah, I will retweet I, this map because it's, it's a sensational thing to see. But it's hard to argue with the expansion. I mean, I wish that the teams had stuck in more places. I... I I would, I would love to see in the U.S. We're gonna we'll talk about Canada another time. Mm-hmm. I would love to see hockey back in another team back in that Southeast, whether it's a third try in Atlanta, or you try and put them in into New Orleans or Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I would love to see something in Salt Lake City. Uh, that's a town that has gotten a lot of tech talent over the last ten years, which means money and brands willing to advertise. Um, and I think you could actually fill in the rest of the map. <laughs> well, like, well, according to the first comment over here on the side, in Montana and Idaho have drafted players. So hopefully those states will be added shortly once those players, it, it, should those players get into the NHL, one of them being Jake Sanderson in Ottawa. So I'm pretty sure that that's a done deal. Or no, it's Jake Sanderson, Sanderson will. California. Yeah, I would have to look for more, but the fact that there have been Mississippi-born players to play in the NHL. (laughs) I mean, Puerto Rico would only be slightly more surprising. I think Louisiana might be a little surprising, too. Still no Louisiana players, though. No, I know. Um, Or Arkansas. for, for, For Texas to jump six, for Arizona to jump six. I mean, damn. I mean, some of it is the overall growth of the U.S., of hockey in the U.S., contributing into it. But college hockey has played a huge part as a whole, as has as has the USHL. I mean, having that development league where you don't have to worry about having to speak another language um, is a big thing. And I, for one, would love to see the USHL expand a little bit more or have a companion league like the CHL is divided into uh, I wanna, the I wanna Ontario, Quebec, and Western. I want to see where this. I want to see a day where this map represents not only NHL hockey players, but uh, PWF or women's. P- Women's professional hockey, the yes. PHF and the PHF. Thank you, PWF, the PW, and whatever the other league decides to call themselves. Yeah, I want to see this map represent women's hockey as well. And last thing, because I hate not completing the map, um, 
completing the map. Oh, the we segment. found out just after the show last week yes. about the most incredible piece of NHL marketing ever from the pre-Batman era when the league was still <laughs> had to be Chris, tell him about it. Oh my goodness! Well, this this apparently took place back before most of us uh, would care to admit. But apparently, the Chicago Blackhawks played a game in 1975 against the cast of Sesame Street and Danny DeRaney. Thank you at Danny DeRaney for reposting this or, or just reminding us. This was quite the impressive. When you stop and think about people wearing these huge costumes and being on skates and trying to score goals against Chicago Blackhawks hockey players. You got Big Bird out there and oh well Big Bird's looking pretty uh pretty violent over there on the boards. I think that was a cross check and he's headbutting. But Mr. Duraney has included video and we watch Grover tuck one into the net. Apparently the Sesame Street team won. This is the kind of marketing that the this NHL was, needs to bring back. They got to do this again. This can't. 1975 was a long time ago. Doing this, doing stuff like this against like the cast of Minions or the Disney, <laughs> or yes, like updated so that the, the Disney kids. characters. That would do more to bring in casual NHL fans than all of the efforts to remove fighting, all of the efforts to make it a kinder, gentler game. Uh, because what's lacking in most people's lives is fun, and this was fun. Yeah, it was fun to it, it was fun to relive it. It was enjoyable. So Chicago Film Archives at Danny Duraney, he's got a little clip out there. Go look it up. It's it was a fun thing, and, and that. Ladies and gentlemen, undeclared, undecideds, hockey fans of all ages is where we leave you. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be talking about the draft. We'll be talking about those uh, Calder, uh, Calder Trophy uh, chasing players. Have a great week.